You're listening to an Empavilion podcast, conversations about design and the world we live in. This podcast comes to you from our 2020 season. For more, visit our archive at library.empavilion.org and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. Good morning, everybody. Thanks all for being here. I'm Madeline from Channel 9. Uh, we're just going to welcome up Uncle Shane Clark for the Welcome to Country. Thank you, Madeline. So, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name's Shane Clark of the Bunurong Land Council, traditional custodians of the lands where we are today. Uh, just here this morning to do a welcome, but. Um, it's great to be able to see people coming together after sort of a bit of a slow and uh, devastating year last last year with COVID. And um, I think uh, coming together for a purpose is, uh, you know, everybody's, you know, we're talking about awards and and uh, and the achievements and where we come from in Melbourne and uh, as a community. I think we're working towards the great goals of. Uh, bringing people to, uh, I think, one of the best cities in Australia and uh, for the future. And uh, so I'll just do a quick welcome. And um, first of all, I'd like to pay my respects to my elders, both past and present, and my ancestors who've come before me, who worked for ten thousands of years. Uh, so... Um, We've got our, I'd also like to acknowledge our Lord Mayor, Sally Ann Cap. Uh, I think she does a great job, you know, keeping, keeping Melbourne moving in the right direction and uh, everybody else is uh, uh, in, the, in the same footsteps as uh, all coming together and uh, for the purpose of uh, for making the city great. But, um, so, warm and jink, everybody. So welcome this morning. So Audi Yaliel went along Bunnerong. So welcome our many friends to the lands of the Bunnerong. Thank you. Well, good morning, everyone. My name's Madeline Slattery, and I'm from Channel 9, and it's my absolute pleasure to MC this event today. On behalf of the Lord Mayor and the City of Melbourne, welcome to the inaugural Melbourne Awards Alumni Breakfast. The City of Melbourne respectfully acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land, the Burrawong Bun Warung and the Wurundjeri Woi Warung people of the Eastern Kulin Nation and pays respect to the elders past, present, emerging and those in the room. We are committed to our reconciliation journey because at its heart, reconciliation is about strengthening relationships between Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal peoples for the benefit of all Victorians. Please join me in thanking Uncle Shane Clark, who we just heard from the Bunurong Land Council for our welcome to country this morning. Now, the Melbourne Awards are the City of Melbourne's highest accolade, celebrating the inspirational Melburnians who dedicate their time and energy to making this city a world leader. This morning, we are celebrating you, our esteemed guests, and Melbourne Award winners of the past two decades, our own future shapers who have made such a valued contribution to your community. I'd like to welcome our special guest, Lord Mayor Sally Capp, Deputy... <laughs> You're a very special person, Sally. Our Deputy Lord Mayor, Nicholas Rees, City of Melbourne councillors and past and present Melburnians of the year. The City of Melbourne would also like to recognise the support of our partners of the Melbourne Awards, which are Spotless, 3AW, Epicure and Naomi Milgram Foundation. Well, what a year we've all had. It has, it is so great to be standing back in a room for an event, finally. As we slowly emerge and normality seems to be returning, we find ourselves faced with a whole new language. The world seems to have gone mad for the word pivot, learnings, and of course, we can't forget the new normal. 
The Melbourne Awards program pivoted in 2020 and was met with huge success. The categories shifted focus to celebrate those who had made a huge difference during the COVID crisis. The program was inundated with submissions, recording an increase of up to 600%. An indication could not have been truer of the extreme acts of kindness and generosity rampant in the community and our ability to rise to the occasion as a city. Nine News was a proud partner and represented a TV special to announce the 2020 winners to a ratings winning of more than 30,000 viewers. Please now allow me to introduce the next speaker who will talk about the exciting direction for the 2021 Melbourne Awards program, the Right Honourable the Lord Mayor of Melbourne, Sally Capp. Well, good morning, everyone. It is a delight to see you here this morning for this event. I am definitely not the special guest, but thank you, Maddie, uh, for saying that. Uh, all of you are definitely the special guests this morning, and I will come to that. I want to say thank you to Uncle Shane from the Bunurong Land Council. Thank you so much for being here this morning, uh, for sharing your welcome to country. Uh, and to all of our traditional custodians, and I know that Parbanata Carolyn Briggs is here, Dr. Parbanata Carolyn Briggs just got her PhD and has become a professor uh, uh, from the Bunurong Foundation, and congratulations. Uh, and uh, together with the Wurrung Wurundjeri uh, traditional custodians that have a an ancient and treasured uh, history and culture here in Melbourne. It seems particularly apt that we are looking out at the Yarra, which is uh, a place of very special meaning to our traditional custodians, and particularly this area here now known as Birrung Ma, uh, a place where over the tens of thousands of years people have come together uh, to meet and to uh, negotiate and to celebrate. And here we are again this morning uh, to do exactly the same thing. So thank you very much uh, for your welcome to country this morning. We, uh, as uh, Maddie said, we have lots of special guests. Uh, we've noted that our Deputy Lord Mayor is here, Councillor Jamal Hakim uh, has joined us as well. I wanted to say a very happy birthday to Susan Alberti AC for yesterday. Uh, and I... I hope that you're not too dusty this morning after your <laughs> celebrations. Uh, but I also mention Susan because she uh, volunteers her time and her leadership as the convener of the Melbourneian of the Year Selection Committee uh, for us and was, of course, the 2017 Melbourneian of the Year. Clive Scott, who is our chairman of the Melbourne Awards uh, judges panel overall, uh, and Clive has been uh, leading uh, this group for a very, very long time. So, Clive, many thanks to you. I, of course, also want to thank our sponsors. We have Spotless Epicure, the Naomi Milgram Foundation, 3AW, and it's great to have Channel 9 here as well. We just can't do it without sponsors. All of us know that, whether it's sponsors or donors, supporters. Uh, so, really, thank you very much to everyone who's here who provides that support for this program. Well, this is the first time that we've done this. Maddie said inaugural, uh, and it's true. And I want to say thank you to our team because this was one of the things I really wanted to do when I came in in 2018. And in 2021, uh, we're able to deliver it. That sense of camaraderie and recognition uh, for our past winners of whether it's Melbourneian of the Year, and I can see so many around the room, uh, winners of a Melbourne Award and, of course, the judges who dedicate their time to making those very, very difficult decisions on, on who's going to win out of each uh, um, sector each year. So uh, thank you very much for making the time to turn up for brekkie. Uh, we're out of practice, I know, but it's time to get back into it uh, and it's really terrific to see you and this is an event that will happen every year and I hope you make the most of the opportunity to get to know each other and, of course, out of these sorts of collisions can come many opportunities and that's what this morning is all about. And personally, thank you for coming. 
Now, uh, we at the City of Melbourne, we really want to acknowledge that we have people here that have made outstanding contributions in so many fields uh, across uh, professional uh, elements, across community, but all of you make Melbourne uh, the very dynamic, successful and collaborative uh, place that it is. We have people from scientific research backgrounds, from sustainability, from multiculturalism, experts in homelessness, people who drive philanthropy, art, sport and so many others. It really reflects the diversity of talent uh, and dedication that we have here in Melbourne. So we wanted to take this opportunity to say thank you so much for everything that you do in our community. Your efforts every day, your leadership, your vision makes a difference, not just to the community as a whole, but you are literally impacting other people's lives in a very, very positive way. And we are very grateful for everything that you do. Now, the Melbourne Awards is a key way uh, that we recognise your efforts and others, but it's also a really, uh, I think, necessary uh, way that we can create and share the stories, your stories, stories that inspire others to do great things. And to me, that's such an important aspect of the Melbourne Awards is what it does in terms of encouraging others to make a contribution, but also giving strength and courage to others when they may be daunted uh, by the challenges that they face and the things that they want to do. Uh, and your stories and your leadership actually provides that extra incentive motivation uh, to uh, encourage them to keep going forward. And uh, for those reasons, uh, we're really happy that the Melbourne Awards can help people follow their dreams and make uh, really big impacts and imprints on our city and the community. 2021 is 19 years. Imagine next year, what a celebration. But this year, 19 years of the Melbourne Awards, uh, it's really shown that it has relevance and it has resonance uh, in our community. The awards have become our city's highest accolade. And I know speaking on behalf of our councillor group that we really want to do everything we can to elevate the Melbourne Awards uh, in that effort to showcase your stories and your efforts and those of others in our community. There's no doubt, and I can speak confidently on behalf of our team and councillors to say that we are humbled every year by the nominations that we receive, uh, the stories that we hear, and uh, the leadership of the winners uh, that are anointed uh, through the awards each year uh, because of the extraordinary efforts that you make to make uh, our city a wonderful place to live, work, study, and invest. Like so many things, the Melbourne Awards pirouetted. That's a new one. I've moved on from pivot. We're into pirouette. That is the new normal. Uh, pirouetted in 2020. And thanks to Maddie for just highlighting that we were uh, overwhelmed by the nominations uh, for people that had shown kindness and caring uh, in the most extreme of circumstances. And some of those winners, many of those winners are here with us today and we'll have Doug Hilton up on stage in a moment, our Melbourneian of the Year. It was a really different year, uh, but we uncovered uh, some absolute gems and we're so pleased about that. Now, one of the other efforts, because John Bertram walked straight up to me this morning, another one of our Mer Melburnians of the Year, and said, what's all this about? Why are we here? And I love that because we all need to know why we're here. Well, we're here to celebrate you. We're here to make sure that we create that wonderful alumni. But we're also here to say nominations are open for the awards in 2021. And we're relying on all of you uh, to look across your networks to nominate people, but to encourage others to nominate as well. You stand uh, as uh, leaders who have a connection and attachment to this program, and we uh, would be delighted uh, if you can really turn your minds to others who would benefit from going through uh, this uh, program and who could be nominated as a potential winner uh, in our categories. Speaking of which, we have some of our time-honoured categories continuing and we have a couple of new ones as well. So you can nominate individuals and organisations in the categories of community, sustainability 
Aboriginal Melbourne, and this year it's called Kamagi Kathaba, which means rise up together in traditional language. And we're going to change that uh, name each year so that we can really introduce more of our Aboriginal uh, languages and uh, learn more about that amazing culture. But I think rise up together is uh, something really special. So thank you. Arts and events urban design and hospitality. And then we have two new categories this year where we're look, looking for leaders and people that have made extraordinary efforts in the LGBTQI plus community and also in the sector of knowledge and innovation for which we are well regarded and we really want to highlight. Of course, the prestigious Melbourneian of the Year Award will continue and uh, that recognises people who have made a lasting and outstanding contribution to our city. And I'm just looking around at so many of you past winners who are in the room and I feel really grateful, so thank you. Sadly, in March, we farewelled a past Melbourneian of the Year, Michael Gadinsky AM, still invokes a lot of emotion around town, given the imprint uh, that he had right across this city. A music icon and an entrepreneur recognised in 2012 for his lifelong contribution to music and what he did for our city. Uh, and of course, he was one of 17 Melburnians who have received this award in the past. And Michael, had been very involved in revitalising our city through our busker program, uh, which was fantastic. So I mentioned Michael because I think it's appropriate to acknowledge him at this time, but he also really epitomises the sort of um, character and personality and can-do attitude and vision uh, and uh, qualities uh, that we're looking for in our uh, Melburnians uh, of the year and our Melbourne award winners. So who inspires you? I can't even imagine because you're all so inspiring, but who inspires you? Who could you nominate? How can you encourage others to think about nominating into this program? If that's something that you could take away with you this morning, as well as the camaraderie of seeing so many other legends around the room, uh, then that would be most appreciated. Please enjoy the panel discussion that is coming ahead. I'm looking forward to celebrating uh, the Melbourne Awards this year in a new format. The television show with Channel 9 was an outstanding success uh, last year. Thank you to the team. Uh, we're continuing with that this year. It created a wonderful platform uh, for those stories to be shared uh, and we'll be moving forward uh, with a different format for the awards. Now is the time to try different things. So come on along. Thank you for being here this morning. And really, uh, just to say again, um, our gratitude uh, is enormous for everything that you do to make this city so special. Thank you. Thank you, Lord Mayor. It sounds like there's a very exciting 2020 awards program happening. I would now like to introduce our featured panel for today, who will be discussing what makes a good capital city. Lord Mayor Sally Capp started her career as a solicitor. Do you want your? You don't want your intro? Okay. Well, she's up here on stage. We've welcomed her again. Okay. Now, our panel facilitator is a multi-talented performer, comedian, radio host, actor and celebrant. She entered the Class Clowns competition run by the Melbourne International Comedy Festival and ended up as a national finalist in 2010 and performed on the main stage of the Melbourne Town Hall. Since then, she has continually chased the high that only comedy can bring. Please welcome Annie Louie. Our next panel speaker for today has been the director at the Walter and Eliza Institute for the past 36 years. He is a world leader in his field of medical research. He's an inventor on more than 20 patent families. Doug is a professional advocate for, for health and medical research, diversity and inclusion, and gender equality in science. He's also the 2020 Melbourneian of the Year. Please welcome Professor Doug Hilton.
Our next guest is an innovator developing and delivering the biggest Indian film festival outside of India, the Indian Film Festival of Melbourne. She is a director, producer and passionate advocate for local enterprise. Her dedication to projects and its impact on Melbourne was recognised in 2016 when they won a Melbourne Award. Please put your hands together for Me Too, Bo Mick Lange. Now, the final panel speaker is passionate about sustainability. He has been the director at the Sustainable Living Festival for more than a decade and has been instrumental in developing the festival from a small regional sustainability fair to a three-day weekend in Melbourne's CBD, right through to the current two-week statewide festival that now features more than 300 individual community events. Not to forget, he won a Melbourne Award in 2012. Please welcome Luke Taylor. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Madeline, for that stunning introduction for all of us. Welcome, everybody. This is going to be the panel uh, section. This will be a discussion about what makes a good capital city. Uh, my name is Annie Louie and I have no relation to the councillor Kevin Louie. That's a frequently asked question. <laughs> He's not my dad. Um, but for the right price, he could be. I'm open to it. Um, so I'm a passionate Melbourneian. I've lived here for all of my life, travelled a lot, but still think this is the greatest city in the world, okay. So um, I live in a share house in North Melbourne, so I'm a city of Melbourne um, resident as well. And the last time I saw Sally was when live theatre opened up again and we had a midnight show down at Ormond Hall and I couldn't believe she was in the audience because I was cracking fart jokes. So I'm really sorry, I didn't know you were there. Very funny. <laughs> so this is gonna be very exciting. Don't feel like you're pressured to answer a certain way because the Lord Mayor is here, of course. Just be yourself. Yeah, be honest. There's going to be some uh, critique of Melbourne, maybe some of the things that are not so great as well. So we're very open to that discussion and we're going to have some question time at the end, about 10 minutes for you to uh, ask our panellists. And if you don't get to it, there'll be a little bit of networking that you can catch up on. Uh, we're not going to kick you out um, at nine o'clock. It'll be okay. You can hang around for as long as you like. So um, those introductions were great. I don't have to delve into that again, but I think your areas of expertise will come out through the discussion anyway. So I wanted to start off generally, I've given you a little bit about why I love Melbourne. For example, I rode here on my bike this morning because my Uber driver cancelled on me. So for me, a good capital city has to have some of those transport routes and accessibility in terms of safety, cycling, um, pedestrians as well. So I would love to go around and take it one at a time. What brought you to Melbourne, if you're from here originally, and what you really love about the city? Well, I am a, a Melbourne girl, actually born in Papua New Guinea. That's a whole other story. Uh, but I am, I say, Melbourne bred. Uh, and uh, I've spent a lot of time also living away, uh, but always uh, find my way back to Melbourne. And how lucky am I now to be? Uh, the Lord Mayor. One of the things uh, that I love about Melbourne is the layers. Uh, there's nothing superficial really about Melbourne. There's a grittiness and an edginess. Uh, there's the courage to be different and try new things. Uh, there are the uh, elements to be discovered about the city. Lich, I'm in the city every day. I live in the city as well. So I find people in the streets. I don't stalk them. Uh, but that uh, have that lovely element of surprise about their visit to Melbourne. And I really appreciate that about the efforts of people in our city to do things differently and to create something that will really uh, not just attract people, but it will uh, want them to be immersed in our city. And that's something that I love about Melbourne. And you live in Docklands. I mean, somebody has to live there. Um, <laughs> And you, you live there because you like it, right? And I've read that... I, I read really that you... like it. Just don't tell anyone. It's so good. Yeah. You even take public transport is what I've read. Do you actually get around yes, on the city circle? I, your... I, <laughs> I do. I took the tram here this morning. Amazing. Is that right? I don't know why I feel like... Give that a round of applause. Like, the mayor takes the tram. Yes. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you. And Doug? Um, so, I, I was not born in PNG. 
Um, though I love PNG and have visited quite a lot. Um, I was born in the UK and my parents came out when I was five. I have almost no memory of the UK, thank goodness. And uh, I really feel like a, a Melbourneian. I was educated at a high school in the northeast suburbs, east suburbs, um, and primary school, and have worked for all of my professional life other than two years. So I went to MIT for a couple of years. But other than that, I've been at the Walter and Eliza Hall Institute since I was 21. Not CEO since I was 21, I might add, for 36 years. Um, I've been CEO for the last 12 years. Um, there's so many reasons to love Melbourne. I think the one that I, I really like and find inspiring is that although we're the most livable city, I still think we're the most livable city, and we're not smug about it. So I don't think we're just... <laughs> In the sense of, I don't think we're just content with how it is. We're not complacent. And I think that aspiration to do things better and to, to um, try new things and understand where we're falling down or where we've not, not met the mark, I think, that's, I think that's a really important part of building a community that is increasingly vibrant. And that, that lack of complacency, I find really inspiring. Absolutely. And where do you live now, currently? I live in Clifton Hill, almost on the confluence of uh, Mary Creek and the Burrarung. Great. And it's one of the most beautiful spots. Um, fantastic during lockdown because you could run, um, you know, 20 kilometres within your five kilometre radius and not have to go over the same route. It's OK. You can say you went outside of I never it did. now. I think, like, we won't... Arrest you for it. No, I, I managed to make sure that my Strava was accurately <laughs> reflecting the routes that I ran. Fantastic. And how about you, Me Too? What about your history with Melbourne? Um, so um, I came to Melbourne 20 years ago um, following my husband, like a good wife. Oh. We're also recording this for the M Pavilion podcast, so definitely want to capture your voice. <laughs> Um, uh, hi, I'm Mitu, and uh, I moved to Melbourne 20 years ago um, like a good wife following my husband, um, who was a New Zealander studying in India. I have no idea what was going on there, but uh, uh, we got married young, and uh, I moved to Melbourne very resentfully, quite convinced that uh, I'll go back in a year. That was my condition. Um, but... To be honest with you, I fell in love with Melbourne. I really didn't want to. And, um, and, uh, and Melbourne's been really, really good to me. And I've worked very hard as well, but Melbourne's given me so many opportunities. And um, in some ways, I've kind of created the job for myself, which kind of keeps my ties with India alive. Um, and um, so it's just so great to be here. And I mean, the fact that I came to Melbourne, I didn't know anyone, I used to roam around the CBD, um, just looking at posters and super broke. And today I'm sitting here with the Lord Mayor and you all um, and this amazing, inspiring group of people, I think speaks about what Melbourne stands for. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll get into some of your film festival um, experience in the discussion as well, but thanks for that. And what about you, Luke? Well, I was actually born in Melbourne uh, at the... Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm proud to be the uh, panellist that was born in Melbourne. I was too. Don't um, worry about that. <laughs> yeah, at the old Queen Victoria Hospital, actually. Um, so I often go back to the shopping complex that's there and sort of walk around and, and wonder where exactly might have I been born. So to look at... I moved from Melbourne down on the Mornington Peninsula when I was quite young. And progressively, I've been making my way back um, to Melbourne and I've been living in Melbourne now for over 20 years. And it was interesting growing up as a, you know, a teenager, I thought, you know, the life of the peninsula is pretty appealing. But Melbourne's just been pulling me back more and more. And I think it's the line of work that I'm in in terms of sustainability and advocacy and activism the progressiveness of the city and the heart of that beating heart of wanting to do better, wanting to do more and respond to the key issues of our time, I think is second to none. So I, I, I can't think of a better city to be in, in in Australia and possibly the world when it comes to that. And I can just explain more of that later, I guess. 
Yeah, so I guess I'll open up by asking you about other cities around the world that you think are great and how does Melbourne measure up in terms of either livability, I've been reading that uh, with the last livability index in 2019, we were second, there hasn't been one yet um, again, but hopefully maybe this year. Uh, do you think the pandemic will affect that as well? And how do you think we're ranking now? <laughs> Open for anyone to jump in. Oh, you know, look, I think the, I think the Australian response to the pandemic has been outstanding. You know, I, uh, I think I heard Minister Hunt or, or the Prime Minister say you wouldn't want to be in any other place at the moment. And I think in, in many respects, that's true. Um, there are some desperately difficult places to be living. We've only got to look you know, Our heart goes out to friends in India. Um, but we've seen that, uh, you know, we've seen that rolling, you know, China first, Northern Italy, the UK, Brazil, US, all places that have faced, um, you know, desperately difficult times. So I think we should be really proud in the way we've responded. Um, you know, there's a huge negative press, some unrelentingly negative press critiquing the responses of basically every state government and federal government, but we've got a lot of things right. Um, and I think we should really focus on that again without being complacent about it. Um, so I think great time to be living in Melbourne, but I, I guess the question is how do we open up again to the rest of the world and, and experience that richness we get by being part of a global community. I think that's a, a real challenge. Um, places that I've lived in that I've, I've really loved, um, certainly Boston, um, what a fantastic city in terms of uh, academic culture, um, but also that marriage between academia and entrepreneurship and business. And I think, again, we've got a lot to learn about that. Um, very inspiring talking to you about your latest entrepreneurial venture. And I think that that's becoming the norm. Um, I think there is a generational change in the way certainly people working at universities and research institutes are approaching the world. And um, I'm inspired by my graduate students who are in their early 20s and mid 20s and my postdocs about how entrepreneurial and, and how much more sophisticated they are in that space than I am. I think we've got a great opportunity to, to draw on the experiences of places like Boston and San Diego and add to the vibrancy of this city. You touched on a couple of great points there that I might throw to Luke about. Um, in terms of how the city adapted, I think of the streets that were closed off and made into um, cafes and expanding the uh, hospitality venues in that way. Have you noticed anything in terms of sustainability that marries up really well with what's happening with COVID? Oh, yeah, I guess on two levels. Uh, the level that you're talking about, absolutely. I think um, we're seeing some really interesting innovation going on in the city. Um, looking at spaces in new ways. Um, and I think that's really encouraging. It's, it's giving us the beginning of a window into something really new and exciting for the city. We've been doing a lot of work since the pandemic response and really looking at, you know, the, re the response has been, as we keep saying this, this word, which was our theme for the festival actually in 2020, which was unprecedented. Um, before the, the word was actually used in terms of COVID, we were using it in relationship to, to climate change and sustainability. This, we needed an unprecedented response to be able to respond effectively um, and responsibly to, to the climate change uh, crisis and emergency we face. So, but we've been absolutely blown away in one respect about how even conservative governments can respond in such an unprecedented way to an emergency, to a need to avert, you know, the threat of major catastrophe. And it's been really heartening to see this in the health space, right? So we've now, and we don't have to point out and spend too much time talking about it, but if we stop and really think about the, the kind of response, the economic response that we've had, um, which we've seen just recently, you know, play out, you know, through through the recent budget and so forth. But this this is this is an incredible amount of response that cities have been playing a role in, federal governments, state governments, and it's all been to protect people. And that is a really critical thing that we've got to come back to, right? We're trying to protect the well-being, 
and the livelihoods of people. And we've done, we've pulled out incredible stops to be able to do that. The really interesting thing is obviously with, the, with a, a greater emergency that we face in terms of climate change, we're not doing that. You know, we're, we're playing at the edges of what we need to do to respond to climate change. And I know there's a lot of talk and there's a lot of feeling of momentum at the moment, which is encouraging on one hand, but a, a goal of zero emissions by 2050 isn't going to cut it. And we've got to come to, we've got to face that. It's, it is encouraging. I don't want to take away, I don't want to take out, you know, the good opportunities that present in that because that's really important. We need to keep the momentum for change happening and where we see the opportunities, obviously, in the transition, let's go for it. But we've got to get the timing right because we're over the war now whether climate change really exists or not. Um, what we're now in the space of is how severe is the threat? And it's a little bit like COVID, you know, that our response our cities had to COVID. We got over whether COVID was a threat and then we had to work out how fast we needed to get the curve down and how did we keep the curve down. It's, 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 it's the same with, with, with climate in so many respects. But we have to do the hard work in making sure that the amount of effort and opportunity, because there's a lot of opportunity in this, as I'm sure everybody here probably realise, for the city I think there's an amazing opportunity here for a big super city climate mobilisation. That's the kind of thinking I think we need to get into to really face this next challenge. Before we move on from, oh yes. <laughs> Highly encouraged rounds of applause if you really vibe with something that the speakers have said. Before we move on from the pandemic related conversation, Me Too, I would love to ask you about your experience with having family in India as well and how the government there is tackling it and what you think. Um, you know, this is, I was just talking to Rohini over here because for pretty much all the Indian Australians who are living in Australia, um, this is something, if you, we're all trying our best not to talk about it because if we start, we can't stop. So that's the kind of a thing. But I have to say that, you know, um, the value for human life, um, the value for human dignity, the that was very clear to all of us when during this pandemic because just with the way government dealt with everything over here, making sure that your mental health was okay, your employment was okay, and you were safe was the key priorities. Um, I spent most of last night just dealing with a crisis back in India because my aunt was diagnosed with COVID and um, and. It's ironic that WhatsApp groups are doing what government should be doing. So we spent calling in favors, getting oxygen, getting a nurse, getting this, getting that. And then when you see the success that Australia has had, I don't think we are valuing that enough. And I think we all should pat ourselves on the back because we've all made sacrifices. Um, but having said that i also feel that now we need to look forward to how we can open up because um, international students and migrations are such a huge part of the uh, of our community of our economy and this is not a sustainable model so i do feel that that needs to be an equal focus right now and i think we'll probably all have to come together and have some come up with solutions and which has to be from the community and the government which works for everyone and which is a more sustainable model because this is not going to go away and like all experts say that this is not going to be the last pandemic either. Absolutely. Sally, I want to ask you then, if we're not being driven at the moment by things like international students and visitors, what are we being pushed by at the moment economically? Oh, good question. So just some quick stats. Pre-COVID, the City of Melbourne gross local product within our 36 square kilometre municipality had just clicked over $104 billion. It's actually an economy that's bigger than the ACT, Northern Territory and Tasmania combined. We uh, have some really strong foundations to that economy, one of them being our knowledge sector, professional services, technology. Within knowledge, there's R&D and our amazing precincts. There's international students. There are our 
our university. So we've got some, some great foundations there. And part of the response is to make sure that we protect and nurture and continue to grow those strong foundations. And there's no doubt that for all of those uh, existing uh, strengths within our uh, local economy, we do need to have our interstate borders open with confidence so that we can move around Australia. And we do need ultimately to have our national borders open safely. And uh, I was uh, down, you know, one of the first ones to proudly with humiliation say, I am over 50 and I was down getting my vaccination on that first morning because I know from talking to every small business owner in the city as well, that they are missing customers that have come from interstate or have come from overseas or the international students who came to see them every day. But the international students and the 457 visa holders that worked for them, so many cafes aren't even open in the mornings uh, because they can't get the staff. There are so many elements to our economy that are reliant on that interaction nationally and internationally. And that's something that we've been proud of. That is Melbourne. That is our story after 60,000 years of our traditional custodians and then that sense of migration and everyone coming together is a Melbourne story and doing that in a collaborative, I call it a have-a-go, can-do sort of way uh, is something that we are renowned for. Something I really noticed in talking to mayors around the world during COVID uh, was something that really stood out for me about Melbourne. So uh, those traditional parts of our economy uh, we are working with and protecting, but very mindful of what needs to happen in the future. But we are excited about what the new elements of our economy can be. And COVID has given us all a chance for a reset. Uh, and we like to say at the City of Melbourne that it's now time for a renaissance. What does it mean uh, for uh, our arts and, and culture and creative sectors? What does it mean for unlocking climate capital? What does it mean for technology? We've all really using technology in the most amazing ways. I'm over Zoom. I hope we don't have to go back to that in a major way anytime soon. But nonetheless, we've seen really at the heart of experts and technology driving so much of our response to COVID. What does it mean to make our future better as a smart city, uh, a city that really uh, supports, uh, connects and can provide a platform for innovation and intellect and IP we don't want those people to go anywhere. We want them to stay here. And frankly, I mean, I was around, a lot of you are too young, but I was around in the city in the late 80s, early 90s when we had a financial crisis. I was a young worker. I distinctly remember walking home from work one day along Swanston Street when the streets were empty thinking this is not a place where I can have a future. I don't feel excited about being in this city or that, there, that I can realise my potential here. Of course, Melbourne completely turned itself around with that can-do attitude and that collaboration to become one of the most livable cities in the world. And that's exactly what we need to draw on now to make sure that everybody has that sense of hope and confidence about a future here in the city of Melbourne. Yes, absolutely. The fact that Melbourne has such a strong knowledge economy is a great point. Everybody here is an entrepreneur in some way. I would love to know what is it like being an entrepreneur in Melbourne? Have you done it elsewhere? Well, how does it compare? I started a business in the wild west of Perth and I actually said to the Premier at the time, um, Jeff Gallup, this should, we should call this state the, the entrepreneur state because they have such an amazing risk profile there. They're used to drilling holes into the ground and hoping something might be at the bottom. Uh, so they're really good about supporting entrepreneurs, still do, exactly. Uh, and so I started a business over there and, uh, and I'm really grateful for that opportunity. Uh, when I've uh, come back to Melbourne at different times over the years, I see that the depth of entrepreneurialism here is actually almost assumed and taken for granted. And one of the uh, issues with that is that we don't actually turn enough attention and focus to the elements of how we can support our entrepreneurs from an idea into a unicorn, uh, which are those big multi-trillion dollar businesses that create jobs for many and uh, can um, be exported around the world. And so I think that would be a good uh, 
part of where we can focus our attention. Yeah, maybe Doug, this is a question for you then. You've got 20 plus patents for the technologies yes. that you've yep. created at WeHi. And, you know, I think we've been, I think there are really great pockets of commercial acumen in health and medical research, but it's probably not wide enough. Um, and there's some real challenges in terms of timelines. So um, takes often 10 or 15 years once you have a product to get it through all of the phases of clinical trial. And that, of course, is absolutely necessary because we want to deliver things that are safe and effective. Um, we have some real advantages. We have, I think it, it depends whether the banks are going well or not, but we have the largest company in Australia, CSL, by market capitalisation the only manufacturing company in the ASX top 20. And it's in Melbourne, and it's just, you know, in the last couple of years announced that it will not just retain its head office in Melbourne, but relocate to Elizabeth Street on the old Toyota site, and there's a building that's going up at a floor a week at the moment. That is fantastic, right? I love the idea that a kid from, who's come to Melbourne, um, is studying, maybe he's studying at Melbourne Uni or Monash, can, catch the number 19 tram up Elizabeth Street onto Royal Parade and pass CSL as a headquarters. And then the VCCC, which houses Peter McCallum, and then my institute, the Walter and Eliza Hall Institute, and the university, and a little further up, CSIRO. That, you know, that is a great tram ride of innovation. What I'd love to see, though, is those small to medium enterprises, maybe in the Arden Precinct or around Parkville and in, in North Melbourne, that are the satellites of CSL, that are the, 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 the next ResMed or the next Cochlear that may be employing 10, 20, 30, 100, 200 people. Because if we have that part of the ecosystem, my ability to attract people from around the world to Melbourne to do medical research is increased enormously because their partner can get a job in biotech or they can go from an academic lab to biotech, whether they're working in someone else's company or being an entrepreneur themselves. So I, I think we need that missing element of SMEs. Anything that oh, I was just going to add, just sort of in our field of work, um, I mean, the entrepreneurial thing is really exciting at times, but it's also bloody hard, <laughs> you know. And I think um, many of the people in the room could probably relate to the area of work and, and the, the time, the effort that's put into all of our areas is, is incredibly challenging, hard, rewarding, but also, um, yeah, it's, it, it has its moments, obviously. Um, but I, I think that it just in what encourages me a lot in terms of the innovation and the entrepreneurial sort of spirit, if you like, or, you know, what we say in our field of work is more uh, climate action and sustainability action, is that um, Melbourne really needs to needs a lot more um, uh, recognition about the level of innovation that's happening here in climate activism. Um, many people don't realise um, the groundbreaking research and analysis that's happening here by at, at, at a grassroots level. Okay, I'm not talking about major universities or institutions. I'm talking about at the grassroots level. This is unfunded, under-recognised, under-reported stuff, but it's happening. And it's, it's, it's top level, it's world leading. There's, there's nothing like it that's happening anywhere else in the world. And, and we, we constantly are looking for this type of analysis that's done around the world and it's not being done. Um, there's other stories like, Greta Thunberg, for example. Now, Greta took the leadership to her credit and obviously did an amazing thing. But she pays homage and respect to the fact that it was activists here in Melbourne that actually responded to what she was doing there in Sweden and then rallied and mobilised and gave her, you know, the legitimacy and, and, and the strength and the... Uh, and the, the first steps of this showing that this was a world movement because what happened here in Australia. Um, and there are story after story after story like that. And I think that we need to recognise a lot more what's happening at the grassroots level here in Melbourne because it's homegrown. And I'm telling you, if, if there was more funding, if there was more attention given to it, it, it would supersize 
a, a new stream of climate activism that is not, re- is not happening anywhere else in the world. And I can really honestly say that. That might sound like a bit of a, a beat-up, but it's, it's from the analysis that we've been doing and trying to find what is the most progressive climate action in the world, it always comes back to Melbourne. Great. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's an organisation here in Melbourne called Beyond Zero Emissions. Now, 20 years ago, they put on the table an idea of a 10-year transition to go to zero, to zero emissions in 10 years and to do a stationary energy plan. Now, even within the mainstream environment movement at that time, 10 years ago, they, they said that could not be done. You could not prove that that could be possible. So what did they do? The group pulled together a bunch of uh, engineers, all voluntary, okay? This is all voluntary, grassroots stuff. Former engineers, retired engineers, pulled them together and gave them the challenge and said, what would it take for Australia to go to 100% renewables in 10 years? Just as an exercise, do that. Tell tell us if it's true or not. And they, they set about and within two or three years, they put together a comprehensive plan to fully decarbonise the economy within a 10-year period. Now, that was, a, that was 10 years ago, right? We're now 10 years on still, and we're still having the discussion of whether we can do it or not. Now, this, this, this was backed... This, this not only was proven by Beyond Zero Emissions as a group of engineers and so forth, but went on then to get the stamp of approval from groups like the University of Melbourne, uh, other major institutions then. And the work has evolved and it's grown and obviously elements of the economy and policy have changed and things have had to be updated along the way. But it just shows you, I mean, this, this is, this is a, that's a great example and has now became the sort of the mainstead of the parts of the environment movement to say, don't tell us it can't be done. Of course it can be done. If you put your mind and your innovation and your best skills towards solving these problems, of course they can be done. It's about having, you know, having the, the, the will. We've got to have the will to do it. And then we, we know that we can, in many cases, we can actually get this work done. Yep. Thank you so much. We've run out of time, so I apologise. If you've got questions, please um, check out for you and ask them to ask them to answer your questions but could I please get a big round of applause for all of the panelists this morning I'm going to hand back now to your MC Madeline and we'll wrap up the events but thanks very much for being so engaged during this session thank you fantastic well thank you so much to our wonderful panel put your hands again for them Now, as we draw to a close, I'd also like to thank you all for attending this morning. The Melbourne Awards program is currently open for registrations, as we heard earlier, and I would ask you all to please encourage any projects that you might know doing fantastic work and deserve to be recognised to apply. Or, of course, reacquaint yourselves with the program and enter again. The Melbourne Awards team will be sending each of you some digital assets after the event in the hope that you will share it to your social media platforms. The aim is to celebrate as many of our unsung heroes as possible. Thank you also to the fabulous team at Epicure, who are a proud partner of the Melbourne Awards and have provided the gorgeous venue and that delicious breakfast this morning. This all concludes the formalities, so stay, mingle, have another coffee and have a wonderful day. You're listening to an M Pavilion podcast, conversations about design and the world we live in. This podcast comes to you from our 2020 season. For more, visit our archive at library.mpavilion.org and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts.